Comic Podcast, and this week we have a book that isn't 30 Days of Night called Transfusion. And then we're off to read about Italian teenagers in the near future in Golem. Industry veteran Eric Stevenson had some words about the comic book industry, and they sure sound important. And we'll talk a little bit about those. Um, but uh, uh, Brock has some book that he wants to talk about. It's about, it's about dicks, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll let him pitch that too. So yeah, I'm Nick Hemsing. And I'm Brock Beauchamp. Yes, my book, Dick of Time, has released. Or actually, Time Dick. And it is only 99 cents on Comixology. So go to Comixology, search Time Dick, or if you're on the website, you will see ads for it all over the place. Uh, click through and check it out. It's, again, 99 whole cents. It's uh, 20 pages long, and it is the first chapter of five in my film noir-inspired kind of sci-fi twist story. And, yeah, give it a read. I think Dick of Time would be an entirely different kind of book. Yes, it would. Uh, the, uh, I mean... I could see it. It'd be, it could be a, good, a great uh, comedy. But uh, you should make that your next project. Yes. And having just spent two weeks in Nicaragua, I have a tendency to rearrange words because, you know, I was practicing my virtually non-existent Spanish for, you know, 11 days. That was fun. Was, was that, uh, it was uh, just saying, I want a cerveza louder. Yeah, yeah, I did definitely pulled the American trick of just speaking louder if somebody didn't understand me, because that's really the key to communication is volume. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it. You know, you speak loud enough, you will reach the central core of everybody in the world, which should be an American who speaks yes. English. Yeah, and it was actually it was a great trip because I actually saw very few Americans, which is something I shoot for whenever I leave the country. So even when I go to places like Europe, I tend to spend a lot of time in the non-touristy spots in hopes that I will not see any Americans. Although I did see a fair amount of Americans, but they were like backpackers and that sort of thing, mm. which are a much more tolerable version of the American tourist. So you the uh, actually they're, they're a much uh, increasingly more common version of the American tourist, um, so much so that uh, areas are more specifically trying to appeal to the, um, uh, what do you call them? Not, uh, I guess it's the, the more, um, that, you know, nature, you know, the, the nature yeah. traveler. Yeah. And um, there, obviously there's a ton of that in Nicaragua because everything is dirt cheap, um, and like most Central American slash Caribbean countries, they only have really terrible uh, weak loggers because it's a really hot country and cheap loggers are a great way to be refreshed. So, you know, I spent 11 days drinking $1 beers. That was in the restaurant. You'd get them for about 40 cents in the store. And the uh, best purchase i made was three liters of rum for all of eleven dollars that's a lot of rum yeah and it's five-year aged rum so it's not mm -hmm. like it's rock gut but yeah it's it, it really lends a new perspective on the world visiting a place like that because 
the medium income I think is about five thousand dollars a year and and it's it's something else to see just how little people have and you know it kind of makes you redefine your expectations as a an American and Western world resident but yeah it was a great trip loved it but anyway so my comics available no bot flies huh no bot flies uh we we hardly even went into the malaria areas uh which as a doctor friend said ah it's no big deal it's not even the bad kind of malaria (laughs) you know you know what i don't want any kind of malaria i don't want i don't want the good kind of malaria yeah (laughs) <laughs> so uh but uh that still left you with plenty of areas to go to i'm assuming oh yeah actually nicaragua doesn't have uh, a huge malaria problem at all mm-hmm. so you really have to go i mean we went into the middle of nowhere where one place we stayed for two days uh it's an area in the hills where there's thirty thousand people spread out over this enormous area and there's no electricity uh, everyone gets electricity through generators and or solar. Oh wow! Yeah, so. I would have expect I would have expected some sort of infrastructure, but not. No, uh, and it's interesting. A uh, cellular service has actually changed how countries like this operate a lot because they mm-hmm. they don't have the money to lay millions of miles of cable. But oh. what they can do is they can build a tower every so often and service their residents. Through cell yeah, technology and just, them, and just uh, run them all through repeaters. Yep. So, but yeah, it's a good time. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. It was a very different trip, but it has nothing to do with comic books. So, buy my book, people. Please. Oh, yeah. 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 They uh, do that. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, I interviewed some replacements for you, but now I have to, you know, I've got to let them know. Right. <laughs> Uh, so your speaking spell ran out of batteries. That's what you're telling it me. It did. It did. Um, it no longer answers. Um, the uh, I had called it Fred, and it was going to be comics with Nick and Fred. Um, <laughs> but you know, the uh, it's it's last spoken words of kill me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably weren't going to go over too well anyway. So you know, I'm stuck with you. Yeah. Oh well. Well, it's good to be back. I'm glad you missed me. Yeah. So Eric Stevenson, the publisher of Image Comics, uh, wrote, or I guess it was a speech that he delivered at um, a group of retailers. And he kind of took the comics industry to task for doing a lot of the things that Nick and I complain about on a regular basis. And that's variant covers, multiple issues per month, too many titles, constant reboots he kind of touched on a little bit of everything i don't think we've complained about multiple issues per month but you know we can add that to the list well i I consider multiple issues per month a variant of there being five different spider-man books no yeah oh okay yeah he was talking specifically about amazing spider-man releasing twice a month but i believe that having five spider-man titles Especially the way they used to do it with Superman in the 90s where you had to buy them all to understand the story because the story just went from different book to different book. Hmm. 
from a which from a marketing standpoint would if you say they'll buy it the uh, it makes sense but from a, a, a overall health of your uh, product yeah. well it's one of those marketing things that might work for a year it mm-hmm. might even work for two years it's not going to work in the long run because no. ultimately when you lose a reader you lose a reader for five books and it makes it incredibly difficult to jump back in because then you're committing to five books. So I think you're going to see attrition, but you're not going to see an influx of new readers because it's just it's a, too burdensome to yeah, you know, so, dedicate yourself to that many books. Yeah. Uh, the uh, now it's it's funny because I always the uh, I'm always amazed with the quantity of new books that Image pump, pumps out. The, yeah. Uh, as am I. I. I don't know how many books they publish a month, but it seems like a lot. And I know a lot of them are real low volume, which, you know, I'm glad somebody out there is doing it. But, uh, and I, I can't complain about what Image is doing. They might produce too many books, but they curate their books so well that, yeah, you're producing too many good things. Oh, well, you know, I'm not, I can't, I can't crucify somebody for that. Yeah, I, 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 I guess it's a... You You're know. making too much awesome. Stop it. Well, they put a lot out there. And, you know, we, it, it's, hit, it's definitely been hit or miss with us. But, you know, the fact is, is, just, is we find a, a decent number of hits in it. So it's, a, it's the only way you're going to find... It's the only way you're going to have those, uh, those breakouts is if you're trying a lot of different, trying a lot of different product. So. Yeah, and... You know, uh, unfortunately, Marvel and DC produce more books, but they don't have nearly the ratio of good to bad that Image currently sports. And you know, Eric Stevenson, he was he was making this speech to a bunch of retailers, and he commended the direct market, which I thought he went a little bit overboard. I still think, while the direct market has allowed something like Image to exist and to do new things and break new ground in different genres. Overall, it's been bad for the industry that you can no longer walk into a dime store or the modern equivalent and buy a comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if if a kid needs to be taken to a specific store to get something, how is that kid ever going to get into it? Because it's not like he's going to be shopping with his mother or father or her mother and father and just say, hey, I want this and then pick it up and then get hooked in comics. It, it's a lot harder to find the comics, so you're going to have a lot, a lot larger hurdle to get into them because they're just not readily available. Uh, it makes sense, but uh, at the same time... <sighs> I, I mean, I, I think that what you what you should end up having is, um, and I and if the industry sustains uh, growth for long enough, is you will end up with them getting something similar to how novels are. Top novel, you know, some top novels you know, appear everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and then the smaller, you know, then to get the the next tier of. Of books, you've got to go someplace that has a bigger selection of sure. novels. The uh, and if you want to select, if you want to find everything, then you've got to go to a bookstore. Um, the uh, so that's something that is 
um, what we don't have right now is we just don't have the 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 bigger tier stuff hitting the uh, where you can buy magazines or books. Yeah, and I think digital is a big uh, gateway to that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It is because if you have an iPad or a phone, you can pick up books from Comixology, and they're still too bloody expensive, but. You know, at least it's a step in the right direction. Uh, comics are more accessible to people who aren't don't have ready access to a comic book shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, and as the uh, and as everybody slowly owns some sort of some sort of a platform for viewing them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It changes. Um, I mean. I think we're still a little ways off from ending with ending up with a, um, like a tapastic type medium where you're you're buying a lot more of your books versus uh, viewing them for uh, viewing for, for free or ad, ad supported. Yeah. Um, the uh, but uh, you know maybe we'll get there. Yeah, in time it's hard. There's been such a cultural shift in how people consume media and how much media has been devalued. And it's once you loop into a free content model, it's really hard to loop out of it because the expectation is built. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll see. I, I, it's, uh, what's, I, I have a hard time tracking sometimes the difference between, you know, that what is the, the product that a page turning comic is offering versus a, you know, infinite scroll comic, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the only thing that's, I mean, I, it's the same, it's the same product, but should, um, but a, when you get to the production, uh, or the production quality of a, uh, of a, current page turn turning comic and put that into a infinite scroll isn't it worth just the same dollar yeah value? so i mean possibly not sure but uh we want to jump on over to transfusion uh sure yeah, yeah. the uh not 30 days a night Yeah. Okay, Transfusion. In a future overrun by out-of-control machines and monsters, a handful of human survivors try to fight their way back to a normal life. But what is normal in a world where both monsters and machines need human blood? And which are the real bad guys? Find out in this horrific news story by 30 Days of Night co-creator Stephen Niles and art by Menton3. You know, I didn't know what books I had read by the person who wrote this uh, novel before, but I knew it was either 30 Days of Night or it was uh, Robots vs. Zombies. Yeah. One of those two. And yeah, it, it worked really well in 30 Days of Night having this really rough art style and this horror comic, but after reading those two books in uh, previous podcasts, I was like, "Oh, it's just more of this." I, I felt that it was that it was it was more of more of part of it and a lot less of something else. 
uh, <laughs> and that a lot less of something else was a uh, a story that I could really get into. And and that and that intro that that little um, where it was at the Wikipedia. Um, no, that was Comicsology. Yeah, that's a bad wrap up of what that <laughs> the comic is. It really is. Uh, what the comic is about is. Uh, man created machines, robots, self, uh, some sentient robots, you know, apocalypse ensues. Pretty standard fare there. But for some reason, vampires exist. It doesn't really tell us why. But both of both the vampires and the robots power themselves via human blood. And not human blood, but just blood. So the machines and vampires have kind of co-conspired inadvertently to kill every living thing on the planet so there are very few humans there's no wildlife the planet's very dead in a uh the road type of way yeah i i felt that the 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 biggest problem that you had getting into it is that um well okay besides the lack of a real the story you could really lack latch onto is that to get the world you almost had to have read 30 days of night um, because I don't know why I felt that, but I felt that this, I felt that if I hadn't read 30 days of night, this world would make even, I would even less be able to get into this setting than, uh, somebody coming in cold. Yeah. And one thing that really struck me is just overly convenient to the point of kind of laziness was the robots being powered on blood. That was now. I'm a big fan of not explaining everything in a story, and just letting the audience go with it. But that seemed like su- that was a that was one bridge too far for me. I felt that the, the, that they had put it something in there to try. They tried to explain and wrap that up sort of at the end, but it's still I don't. But it's still. I was like, oh, okay, that's why. And then I was done. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was so unattached to mm-hmm. anything in this book that, that, uh, when it, when it kindly finally came to the, the ending, I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's what happened. Yeah. And, and it was, it was a nothing hit. It was a nothing punch. And I think that was due to the entire lack of characterization. Yeah. Uh, the the book is extremely short. It's only about a hundred pages long, <clears throat> and you follow around a vampire for all intents and purposes uh, who creates a coalition to destroy robots, and you just don't really care about anyone because outside of this one character who's extremely flat and doesn't display much in the way of personality or gravitas, you don't you don't care about this character much everyone else is just kind of appears you know waves their hand and says hi i'm here and then dies mm-hmm. you you, and, can't, you you can't start liking you can't start you're not you can't rely on uh your reader liking your character just because of what it is yes uh you you have to create some sort of bond between the audience and character and this character simply didn't have that it he, I mean, flat. I mean, that's just really the best 
way I can describe it. There was very little emotion and there weren't enough outside events happening to endear the character to the audience in some ways, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of characters who are flat, but the audience still cares about them. Um, Data from Star Trek Next Generation is a great example. But there's enough oddities within that character, either through outside influences of, oh, let's kind of take a moment to chuckle at the character who doesn't have much emotion and doesn't understand what's happening. That's an easy trope to go with. This character didn't have any of that. So there, there well, were outside influences. There weren't internal influences. There was very, very little that made me care about the character. Yeah, a character who's flat has to be flat for with a purpose. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, well, there's a difference. I mean, I, I, and I argue that there's a difference between um, there's a difference between flat and having no personality. Yeah. Um, the uh, data uh, data has uh, is is a character that is um, that essentially is sort of helping you look at uh, a character who looks at the what's going on with a um, with a pers- with a with like a how you say what kind of perspective an outsider's perspective that's that's a bit too vague um, the uh, I guess an objective perspective mm-hmm. the uh, um, and so that so in that purpose his uh, so in that sort of uh, in that role he serves a purpose yes um, so the uh, in this particular role it serves no purpose the um, it is his his flat um, it, uh, his flat personality is is put up against other. Um, you know, human characters you run into that supposedly have more of a personality, but you don't spend much more time with them to really find out. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody comes off as um, ill-formed or uh, half-formed. Yeah, uh, incomplete for sure. Yeah. And this is something I don't say often at all, but because of what what we've talked about here this book could have been 50 pages longer and if they spent that 50 pages especially early on making you care about the protagonist the book would have been much better for it oh easily easily it 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 was just kind of a series of this happened that happened this happened that, that happened a, yeah that was a, that was the other horrible thing about it is it's just simply like oh that just happened Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Move along. It's the uh, you know, it's the uh, it's the carnival. It's the carnival ride. You know, riding in the car, just watching it. Things pop out at you as you move along. Mm-hmm. The uh, you know, the uh, it's like oh, okay. I saw a bunch of stuff. Done. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of each scene, there's a person standing with a bullhorn, yelling, "Nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Move mm-hmm. along." But what about that guy? Uh, he wasn't important to the story, sir. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Don't dawdle, please. There are people in line behind you. It was almost like it's almost like it was. It ended up being a eighty something, ninety something page art exhibit. And uh, which and, and you know of you know art art, art portfolio. 
Yeah, which is a great seg to the art. The art is really rough, very much in the same vein of 30 Days Night. And it switches art styles a lot depending on the scene. Like it'll go to a straight inking style over a photoshopped kind of uh, parchment texture. So, and then it'll switch coloring styles and inking styles, which I think works quite well uh, most of the time. And that was probably the best part of the book. But then there are certain panels that look like they were ripped straight out of Rob Liefeld's 90s sketchbooks. And they were crosshatched and very blank faces. I mean, they're just completely emotionless faces. And yeah, I, I, I have no idea what the actual artistic skill level of this artist is. Style-wise, I'm going to assume it's a he. I, I, I really don't know. Um, Style-wise, it's fantastic. But technically, it really falls short at times. But when it's working, it's working really well. Art by Menton 3. Menton 3, yeah. Menton, Menton 3, Menton 3, sorry. I caught myself so, doing the same thing. So that's why I happened to notice that. With Tony Moy, uh, Moy who will most likely male. But Menton 3, no, no clue. Yeah. Um, so the art is very inconsistent. Uh, and in a story with flat characters and this happened and that happened, sometimes the rough art keeps you chugging along just to see how it changes up next but then other times in scenes where there isn't dialogue and something that you later find out is pivotal happens the art is so rough that you don't really know what pivotal thing happened until it's well over and done with so everything about this book is up and down really i i just wanted more meat on this bone yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It looked like uh, this is, is such a thing as trying to tell a story too fast. Yep. Um, the uh, and you know, I, I guess you it, it always comes down to you have to gauge the proper length of your story. Yeah, and this one uh, felt like it. It could have been anywhere between twenty and fifty percent longer, and it would have been better for it. Yeah. If you spent that twenty to fifty percent longer, <laughs> doing, doing characterization. Characterization. Yeah, if you if you spent it doing uh, more things you know, happen, more things happen than not so much. Yeah. So I mean, I, I would give this. Uh, don't read it. Go read Thirty Days a Night. It's a much better product from the same author. Yeah, um, I, I agree. So yeah. uh, I don't really have much more to say about it. So yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. Um, Thirty move days, along, move along. Nothing more to see here. Thirty days of night is this book, except more so. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the only thing that the the two share is really the uh, is a similar art style. Uh, well, and think, and vampires, and it's from the same author. There, there's there's crossover, yeah, and when but, I when I mean more so, I mean in not just length, but in characterization. In world building, in there aren't there aren't big gaps in Thirty Days a Night where you just stop and go, "What the f just happened?" and "Do I care?" Mm-hmm. It's just a better book. And that guy really likes drawing naked women with no nipples. 
Yeah, that was a, that was a little bit odd. I I I, th- I thought that whole for the whole the whole form of the female vampire kind of jumped out at me. Well, I thought it was a robot android at first. The uh, way yeah, it, it did drawn. look like that way. It did look that way. And it took me a couple pages to figure out it's a vampire, which obviously shows that I mean they were beautiful. They were beautiful renderings, but mm-hmm. they failed to convey the storytelling aspect that needed to be told. Yep. So, yeah, don't read it. <laughs> Move, along. Move along. Move along. Nothing to see here. Nothing more to see here. So, um, I have a couple things I want to touch on real fast. No! Uh, watch The Expanse. Go watch The Expanse. It's so good. Okay, all right. I'll catch up. But you, haven't wa- you haven't seen Deadpool yet. Yeah, I just got back in the country three days ago. So. Come on, cut me some slack here. No! <laughs> Okay, fair enough. <laughs> when is that ever something that I do? <laughs> fair enough, but go watch The Expanse. It's space-based sci-fi that's entirely awesome. I just finished the first season last night, and it's everything I've wanted from space-based sci-fi in a long time since Battlestar Galactica went off the air, and it's really, really good television. More good TV to watch. I know, it's too much. I know. And I also watched Creed last night, which I have a soft spot in my heart for Rocky. Mainly Rocky 1 and then Rocky Balboa. But uh, Creed is just Rocky 1 all over again. It's not quite as good, but it, it is, it's a very, very good film. Uh, One of the yeah, best films I, I've watched. I, 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 I have a there's a old part of you know old part you know, old area of my memory that says you know that Rocky was so great and it, you know it's that little kid that that saw Rocky was oh these are cool and then I realized that same kid enjoyed watching over the top and and uh, sometimes I, I I don't trust that little voice yeah. the original uh, Rocky which I I've watched many times is an amazing film. It is. It's, it's. I probably. I, I probably haven't seen that in uh, yeah. twenty years. Its legacy has been degraded by its mixture of terrible and cheesy sequels, but the original film is a fantastic film. Oh, maybe I'll do myself a favor and watch that first. Yeah, I mean, there's in my mind, there's only three Rocky films now. There's Rocky, Rocky Balboa, and Creed. You can skip all the rest. They don't matter. They're, they're, oh, come on. Ivan I, Drago? I know. Ivan, everybody oh. loves Ivan Drago, and I love him too. <laughs> but other than Ivan Brecchio. Um, change. Just, we can all change. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's it, the world was better for having that film having existed. Well, I, I and I agree, but... Rocky, Rocky Balboa, and Creed are legitimately good films. You don't plant your tongue in your cheek and chuckle all the way through them. They're just really quality films about overcoming obstacles and, you know, the existential question of what is life and what is courage. And, you know, there's just so much going on and they're good, good films. And then Rocky 2, 3, 4, and 5 are just everything that's bad and awesome about the 1980s. <laughs> it's very true. The uh, it, it it was amazing to watch um, 
films that would come out, films that would come out that were really just you know really fun, you know really fun, amazing films, and then watch this uh, sequel come out and go, oh my god, did these people were these people the same people who made the first one? Yeah. The uh, what happened and uh, happened quite a lot, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. The uh, it was uh, sequels had a sequels for the most part had a re- had a really bad name and the, and well we still had end up with a long trains of not good sequels these days, but in the eighties they were amazing. Yeah, they would take a a at least decent quality film, and then they would just basically shit all over it. Yeah, yeah, the uh, um. Although every once in a while, so I guess the the in the modern era, if you want to see the one of the best examples of this is uh, go watch um, uh, was it uh, GI Joe, and then watch the second one that they made. Hmm. That was I don't almost, know if I ever saw the second one. The second one's horrible. Don't go see it. Um, it is. Uh, um, everything that everything that made the first movie at least you know fun was gone. Oh, okay. Um, in in a and replaced with a movie that you could tell was just simply pure toy marketing. Oh, okay. Um, the uh, you know, and the first the first movie wasn't the greatest movie, but you know, it's like you watch it. I'm like, this is this movie was better than any GI Joe movie had any right to be. And I remember not hating the first one. I remember just thinking, oh, this is a silly, over the top action movie in the vein of you know an '80s action movie, and it was enjoyable in its own right. It did not cause me physical pain, uh, as, at least as far as I remember. Which, compared to the Transformers movie, which is, I have this morbid fascination with that franchise, where I'm fascinated how each one can be worse than the one that came before it, at when the first one was terrible, <laughs> and they have just progressively gotten worse, and how I'm many fascinated by it. I think how I've many? seen them all. No, I, I, I didn't I, finish the fourth one because it was so bad, I just couldn't take it. <laughs> I fit, uh, I watched two. I watched one and two, and after that, I was out. Yeah, I uh, I, I haven't seen the the last the last uh, whatever however many they've made since. I think they've made four total. Maybe yeah. they made five. I don't know. I don't I'm, even know. I'm just fascinated yeah. that each one manages to somehow underperform the crap fest that came before it. I I I was. I mean, I was suitably amazed. I mean, the f- the first movie was for a Michael Bay film not horrible it was it had you know major problems but it was at least me going eh you know they brought back the Transformers in a way that wasn't completely offensive um, the uh, the action was still you know you know suitable to Michael Bay the action was still not incredibly well directed there was just a lot of it um the uh but i was able to enjoy that film the second one i was uh, it was like okay you you should be better at this by now the action <laughs> is worse the uh, you managed to take characters that we want to see more of and completely do nothing with them um the uh so yeah and i'm i'm really tired of watching robot ass during battle yeah, so, just you know, big shiny metal objects close up, just hitting each other, and you don't know what's happening. 
Yes, it's it's you know go back and at least if you if you if you want to learn action, go pay George Lucas to give you a seminar or something. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you it, want to do sci-fi sci-fi action. Yeah, as much as people lambast Lucas, uh, his action scenes are fun. Yeah, I mean they're just really well done and. I mean, I would say, I mean, I, I still argue to say that there are better people, there, there are people who do better action than Lucas, but when it comes to, you know, you know, some big new sci-fi kind of, uh, you know, uh, new sci-fi arena, you know, with a lot of different things going on, he does a really, he, he's one of the better, one of the better. Yeah. And one thing Lucas focuses on in action, which is really important, is clarity. So his scenes are fun and they're engaging and there's just stuff moving everywhere and you're just totally sucked into what's happening on screen, but you're never confused what's happening. And yeah. that that counts for a lot, especially when you watch it done badly, such as Transformers, where you don't know what the hell's going on half the time. No, it's pretty much two robots and uh, two robots enter some, uh, you know, old time cloud of combat you know mm -hmm. like a from a from an old warner brothers cartoon and one robot leaves yeah exactly but i disagree with you in the, the fact that you think transformers is one of michael bay's better films because i can i mean what can i say i'm not a michael bay fan i don't enjoy his entire catalog um <laughs> I don't celebrate his entire catalog but <laughs> good job i would rather watch the rock uh, Con Air. Um, I have to say that uh, I, I have to say that my favorite. Okay, so all right, the, the, not that this should be a category, um, but my favorite Michael Bay film is Con Air. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so it's, bad, but in so a glorious that, way. It's so bad, but it has moments. Yes, it has. It has moments that are primarily brought out by the by the by the actors. I'd um, rather watch Face Off. Oh God! I, I I think I think I blocked face off. From oh, it's it's not Con Air <laughs> level of just absurdist, just nonsense, but it's damn close. I mean, it's it's Nicolas Cage. There are two Nicolas Cages. There's the Nicolas Cage who's a really good actor and in really good films, and then there's the Nicolas Cage who is in terrible, terrible, terrible films, and there doesn't appear to be a lot of overlap between those two, but. Face Off and Con Air are the, the same, best the terrible. Same hand, the same hand signed the contract for both of those. Yes. And it's fascinating. It's always fascinated me. Leaving Las Vegas and Face Off. You know, they came out a couple years apart. But, I mean, Nicolas Cage and Face Off is so... It, it is 110% over-the-top bad Nicolas Cage in all the ways you want to see bad Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on! His southern accent in Con Air. I is, know it's so good. It's, it's so good. So, I mean, it is. It is so wonderfully horrible. <laughs> it, the, uh, you know, <laughs> and this that with his hair. Yes. <laughs> but you know, it, it's the uh, and but the people you know the people who make that movie were like Steve Buscemi, the uh, or um, <laughs> what was it the over the top um, not uh, who. I always forget his name. Um, the guy who played um, the asshole, uh, not the asshole. Uh, oh, the guy man, who I'm John Cusack deals with. 
the guy who's uh the guy whose who's, uh, Corvette gets destroyed. Yeah. Oh, who was that? Anyways, I I I, I mean, he's O'Brien. Call from... Meany. Right. Yeah. It's Call Meany. It's O'Brien from Star Trek. Forgot about that. But yeah. Okay. I think we've talked enough about uh, Michael Bay. No, no, no. We really need to talk about more <laughs> Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. The and, and the, still the best reason for all of that existing is I still love uh, Hot Fuzz because that that is the the best love the best love letter to to bad action movies that I have ever seen. Oh yeah, I mean it's my it's my least favorite of the Cornetto trilogy, but it is still a quality film. Easily my most favorite. Really? Uh, 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 see, Shaun of the Dead is just untouchable in my eyes, and I really liked The World's End. I, I the uh, there is there is a there is a just a pure joy that you get from uh, Hot Fuzz. You could the the joy of making that film comes off of everybody who's in, involved in it. the The fact that every single one of those people in that movie almost never get, would involve themselves <clears throat> in the kind in the in, never involved in the movies that it they're lampooning. But yeah, but it it lampoons them in a way that is almost it's it's not it's not a uh, it's not just making fun of them. It is actually loving them at the same time. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, there's there's a definite uh, tip of the hat to these movies that is affectionate, which is part of what makes the movies good. Yeah, there's no hatred in them. There's no, there's no, there's no wink. This is horrible, you know, kind of thing to them. There's an actual, there's an actual love that these that these movies exist and mm-hmm. and what they do. The, uh, I mean, I mean, including you know, loving what's bad, loving what's bad about them. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I, that's what I thought was so great about Hot Fuzz, is that it takes all of those pieces, chews them up puts them back together into a movie that does that does it so well and in its own right make is a is a great movie without it's the uh spoof movies should love to be that good oh absolutely and it i mean edgar wright is just a phenomenal director and i think that's all we need to say about that yeah. So anyway, that you know, uh, was it, uh, Nick Frost shooting up in the air. Yes. I still, I, I, I just, it's beauty. I mean, especially, especially clear in my mind because um, Liz likes putting Point Break on when it's on. Um, oh, I've seen Point Break probably thirty times. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen it. I, I've seen it more probably within the last two years than I've seen it in my entire life. I watch it about once every six months. <laughs> my wife loves Point Break. And by the way, by the way, I'm telling you right now, don't die before I do, because <laughs> if you have a tombstone, I'm etching that on it. Yes. <laughs> Watched Point Break once every six months. Yes. Um, <laughs> now you, uh, you realize you, how much of, you realize how much that would completely change how everybody ever looked at you if that. Oh, was absolutely, the- absolutely. <laughs> but then you would have to put uh, watch Point Break every six months. Dot dot dot. But had absolutely no patience for the sequel or remake. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. refuse to watch it. 
hated hated the remake. <laughs> I, no, I, I refuse to watch it. I will not. Because you know what? You don't fuck with perfection like that. OG point break forever. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to remake Citizen Kane. No, no, you're not. And you're not going to remake Point Break. End of story. No. I was amazed that they tried. I know. I, I really was amazed. The... Uh... Uh, the first one the first one is so uh, amazing <laughs> just in every way how are you going to recapture Keanu Reeves and Patrick, Patrick Swayze um, no, and it is just... Keanu Reeves at his Keanu Reeves yeah I know it's just so odd <laughs> I mean the um, I, I have to say there are roles that I've liked Keanu Reeves in um, <laughs> the, but there are roles where he he does everything that they that he's made fun of for, and that's one of those movies. And that is, you know, that is, uh, yeah, <laughs> you just put that right up there. Yep. So, any more bad films we can talk about? Or no, we, I, I think we've. Uh, I think we can go ahead and jump to the second comic. Oh yeah, we haven't even talked about the second, second comic yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was gonna say, let's wrap up and get out of here. <laughs> Well, it is easy to get lost in the majesty of Point Break and Michael Bay and all the greatness that is contained within those films. And we didn't even bring up Roadhouse, which is its own special thing. But we'll save that for another podcast. (laughs) Okay. Pain don't don't hurt, man. You know what? Let's let's, let's book that sometime. We need to do a – we need to do a – what is it? Five, five best of the worst films from each one of us. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll, we'll have to do it. Means which means we have to do homework. We'll have to go back and watch them. Yeah. Absolutely. If if uh, and if uh, Johnny Mnemonic doesn't pop up, somebody's getting shot. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> obviously. But um, let's talk about Golem. Okay. Uh, set in a future post Eurozone, Eurozone Italy. Entrenched in a culture of hypercapitalism, Golem follows young Steno Critoni as he is kidnapped during a political protest gone sour. Taken in by the band of labeled terrorists, he learns that things are not as they seem in society, and that he has the power to not only change the city, but reality itself. Written and drawn by LRNZ. That's um, way more than that's way yeah, more Way more than the have. first issue. Way, way more, more than, than the first issue. issue. Like, and the yeah. first issue is not short. It's um 40 something pages and that is easily the biggest weakness of the first issue is that you don't know where the story's going at all You're i fu- thought it was going somewhere a little I, I expected something a little different i didn't feel like the first issue left me completely not knowing where it was going i just didn't ex- based on what you just said that's not it that's not it <laughs> yep agreed um and this is a, a comic done by an Italian writer and artist in the style of hardcore Japanese manga. Uh, I thought it was a manga book at first, but then after reading a few pages into it, something kind of clicked in my head and said, wait, this this is weird because it's not explaining everything to me. No, I... The background elements are telling me more about the world than the characters themselves, which is fantastic. I mean, yeah. And then, so I had to stop and look it up, and I go, "Oh, that's because this is done by an Italian." Yeah, I felt that the uh, the first issues 
strengths. The first issue was a giant big package of world building Mm -hmm. with, um, uh, with a decent, with a good, with a good helping of character introduction. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I, I, I say just taking the first issue. So forgetting that you just told you stuff that didn't happen. Told the stuff that didn't happen in the first book. I actually felt that the first issue was pretty strong. Um, I would have been Ditto. surprised. I, I would, I, I, well, maybe I wouldn't have been super surprised it would have gone in that direction later. Um, I just didn't see that in the first issue. But at the same time, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, I finished the first issue and I wasn't disappointed. No, I actually quite enjoyed it. And the world building, normally, I get up, climb up on my little soapbox and, you know, rant at the skies about how. I don't care about your world. I don't want to know about it. But what the author did here is most of the world building is done via background elements. Uh, there's a, there's repetition of logos and um, products that are constantly being kind of pushed upon the main character. And there are these weird little outtakes in the back, like people are constantly dead in the background. And you're yeah. not sure why, and there's this great little, uh, which is a great underlying theme. It's yes. the, uh, it, it, there's, you know, when you're reading through this, you're like, it's like, oh, this is this is a, you know, this is a future that we could imagine. We could imagine, oh fuck, what just happened there? Yes, and they're at the ATM, um, and it's a bank of ATMs, and there's this one dead person with a gun in their hands at one of the ATMs, and then somebody walks over later as the main characters are leaving the scene and says sir excuse me sir you can't die here mm-hmm. and that was easily my favorite part of the book yeah i i, I saw that too the uh, I, I walked away that was one of those scenes where i looked i looked and i said oh, okay i'm reading through and i said jump and i flip back and i go wait a second i saw something back there yes. what the fuck did I and the way the world is delivered it feels very rich and yeah. it feels um complex in somewhat surprising ways uh, such as the dead people, which you just don't see coming. And so while I typically lambast world building in the first issue, I thought it worked really well here. I would have liked to get a little bit better idea of where the story's going, but it didn't get in the way of my enjoyment. Well, yeah. At least of all, it gave me, it, it gave me a sense at the end that the... Um, okay, so we moved into the relation, the first stage of the relationship of this, the story that matters, mm-hmm. um, and that this. Okay, so this is where we have, you know, the the element of of his uh, element of his life that that creates, you know, the the inciting element uh, of the story. I feel like that's where we had reached. We had reached the beginning. We reached the inciting element. Yes. You know what? What, what is going to? What is the action going to spring off of from here? Um, the, uh, uh, but yeah, I felt that they did a lot. He, or he did a lot in a few panels. He or she, sorry. I couldn't tell. It's from a he. A, is a he? Okay. Yeah. From four, f- from a four letter name that has no vowels. Yeah. I couldn't tell. Um, the, uh, but yeah, I, I thought that they did, uh, they did a lot with a little, um, yes. the, uh, it was a, it was a long book, but I, a long, uh, first issue. Uh, but I felt that they packed a lot in, and I never felt that there there was uh, a wasted page. No, and it was actually it's not heavy on dialogue, um, which makes the background elements so much more important because they're not trying to cram something down your throat. 
they're letting you experience it organically uh, through the page. And yeah, this book just worked. It, it did. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be picking up later issues. Yeah. I think they're up to three or four now. Yeah, uh, I liked it too. Uh, the um, I, I felt that I, I early on I felt that when they when they started talking when they saw a translation by I was like oh, I thought Japanese, and then they started talking about Italy and 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 started talking mm-hmm. about uh, Eurozone a lot of the Eurozone stuff. I said no, no, not Japanese. Yep, um, definitely not. Um, but and also the art style the art style popped out at me as started being more uh, uh, more European and less less anime yeah it's it's obviously heavily manga influenced but it's yeah. not well first off it's in color which <laughs> most manga is not but the background details and some of that stuff it's it's mainly manga but you can see some european influences coming through definitely uh lack of use of rulers for example, uh, the background elements, they're all hand-drawn. They're not uh, lined, which in most manga, you get a very tight, detailed background through a lot of straight ruled lines and that where this book is just all hand-drawn. Uh, so there's a few things where the European influences definitely shine through. Yeah, uh, I, I felt it was I felt it was really strong. Everything everything captured me about the story, yes. about this about this book. Uh, I was captured by the art. Um, I uh, I was captured by the 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 uh, the, the world did the world uh, did come through and, and did uh, uh, draw me in. Um, separating the the main character enough, kind of from what the world was doing, made me interested in the main character. Um, the uh so yeah i was sort of interested in i was interested in every aspect of it yeah yeah uh there there is no real weakness in this book and i'm looking forward to reading more of it yeah i did uh, and one thing i definitely appreciated is i love the uh the banality of technology you know as we yes. as events is simply everything becomes the new normal mm-hmm. the uh and I think that, that that's another thing that, that comes through in, in the book is, uh, you know, uh, same shit, different day, you know, the uh, something, you know, but what's wrong with what's wrong with this world is what's wrong with this world is something that is probably uh, just as, you know, just as old or just as likely to happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, or it happened. It happened anywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the uh, um, so I think that's what the part you're looking for that I'm looking for as it goes on is that is ultimately the technology and the world will 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 take a backseat. Yeah. Um, it is it is there, but but the actual issues or problems will be very will be very classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a very good observation. So. Um, the uh, it will just as his conflict, his conflicts as you as you get into them are classic. Yeah, yeah, they really are. There's this is a sci-fi setting, but the story being told um, could be told in almost at least what we've gotten to so far uh, could be told in almost any era. Yep. So, uh, uh, which is fun, but you know the uh, it, but 
you know, a, a setting, a setting switches things up and makes it interesting as long as it doesn't overpower. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think the, uh, author writer does a very good job of not letting that happen in the first issue. Uh, the world elements are there for you to enjoy should you wish to spend the time perusing the panels, but they're not they're not overpowering the story. So uh, yeah, so yeah. let's. Uh, I say I say check it out for sure. I say I say check it out. It was a well, the first issue was like two bucks, so yeah, doesn't uh, doesn't break the bank, but worth worth checking out. Yeah, uh, for forty five pages or whatever, that's yeah, a hell of a deal. Yeah, hell of a deal. So, um, so yeah, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Yeah, let's get we, the hell uh, out of here. Uh, we we spent way more time talking about uh, bad stuff than good stuff. But uh, yeah, we really did. But, but go check out fun. Golem. You can find it on Comicsology. It's definitely worth a read. All right. Okay. Well, so so next so next week is the all eighties movies. No, um, what are we talking about next week? Uh, well, it's either next week or the following week. Uh, not or, sure yet, and we haven't picked anything. This uh, transfusion and golem were the last books I the last had. of the bank. The last of the banked uh, banked issues or banked stuff we had to look at. So yep. So I'll have to new do some ideas. research. Yep. Oh. Go find out what's out there. All right. Cool. Take a look. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to drop us a line at countercomic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at schlockworks.com, where you can view podcast archives, check in on some of our other projects, like my book, Time Dick. Go buy it. If you're inclined, drop by iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review. That'd be great. I'm Brock Beauchamp. I'm Nick Hemsing. Thanks, everybody.